0: This last Wednesday, I had the opportunity to have a date night with my daughter. She wanted to go see this film, Found a Freedom. Anybody in here seen the movie this week? That's why I showed the trailer. I encourage you to go see it. The Christian movie, but it's not blatantly straightforward Christian, but uh, God's children are not for sale. And we as Christians a lot of times get caught up in our own little world. And sometimes we have to challenge ourselves before God to do something in our world. For a number of years in ministry, um, I've been very familiar with the sex trafficking world, though I haven't been directly involved in seeing freedom come to that. My prior church, there's a ministry that's connected actually with the Christian Missionary Alliance called Remember New of a businessman that was sitting in a church like you. And God moved on in his heart to establish a movement ministry to free children that were being trafficked or were susceptible to being trafficked. And remember, New, maybe I'll have a chance to have Carl here someday. But uh, there's the need for us to ask God, should we be involved, even if it's becoming more aware and praying? At the end of the movie, my daughter looks at me and goes, Dad, you okay? Like, you were crying at different places through the movie. And I was, because we have so many blessings in our personal life, but there is an evil one who seeks to take people down. And some of you in this very room know what that's like when Satan has tried to take you out and used you... uh, and brought abuse maybe into your own personal lives. So I recommend going to see the movie, um, not because, oh, it's a cool thing to do, or we put it up here, but it's really my internal heart to say, how do we serve God in our world when we see such um, difficult things happening around us? In this movie, as Jim Caviezel, who was in The Passion of the Christ, is the main character in this movie, he gives a little talk at the end, so wake up, wait around for the movie to be over, and he comes on and just encourages people um, as a believer, is that we need to um, be aware, but we also need to um, consider how we can push back against the darkness that's around us in our world. And uh, this movie does not have a high-end budget, but uh, it actually beat out uh, the new and last, I guess, Indiana Jones movie, and it's sort of a migration of word by, uh, by word of mouth. And so I just wanted to take that opportunity. I've asked different people, and you said, oh, I've heard, I haven't got to see it yet. So just let me encourage you to do that. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we are grateful today that you do bring freedom. There's a lot of darkness in our world. Lord, there may very well be darkness in someone's life here today that feels like they have no hope. Or maybe somebody that we know that we're praying for. Someone in our family, someone that's a friend, Someone that's headed down a path of destruction that uh, the adversary just wants to redefine their life. And we would just pray today, Jesus, that you would bring freedom to our own lives, to our family, to our friends. And Lord, may we participate in knowing how to bring good news, even by taking active participation um, in reaching out. Lord, as we step into your word again today, we thank you that we are able to come to hear not from me, but from you. And so Holy Spirit, we give you these moments that you would speak. You would speak words of encouragement because indeed, it better is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere. And Lord, we have gathered in your name It's not because this is a great building, but because where two or three are gathered, you promise to be in our midst. And so whether it's in a building or a home or wherever, Jesus, we come into your presence and we ask that you would speak to our heart, you would continue to mold us together as a church family, and that you would set us on a course of seeing your kingdom come about on earth as it is in heaven. And God's people said, amen. So we are in a summer series um, that's defined Uh, simply as the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer that Jesus gave to uh, the disciples in uh, teaching them how to pray. And so with this, I want to um, encourage us not to see the Lord's Prayer as something we would do by rote memory, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, but that we would see the context of the things he's mentioning in here that need to be a part of our prayer life. I remember some of the early times of me trying to pray out loud were in family devotions. And my parents would gather us into the family room, probably interrupt a TV show that I was frustrated that they turned off. But there we are in the family room, and we're going to have some family devotions. And so there's going to be some scripture read, some encouragement, and then we're going to pray. So there was... Uh, Me and four siblings, and mom and dad, so six of us, if you will, in the room. And for whatever reason, one of my earliest memories of prayer was being paralyzed in that setting as a young little one, because for whatever reason, I forgot how to pray. I don't know why I remember this. And my problem was, I didn't know how to start out a prayer, And I sort of knew you closed a prayer with the word amen, but as a little thought, I was like, how do I start the prayer out? And thankfully, my parents weren't, uh, you know, like, come on, Carrie, you need to pray out with everybody else. They just let me be. But then I started to realize, well, I need to listen to my siblings and my mom and dad pray. And when they prayed, uh, that would be an indicator for how maybe I could learn how to pray, and so with the Lord's Prayer, maybe you are stifled in your ability to pray, oh, I pray fine on my own maybe, or, or maybe it's that you're paralyzed as it relates to uh, praying out loud. I won't ask for a show of hands this morning, but how many of you would say, that paralyzes me to think that I might have to pray out loud? Well, one of the things that helps me to realize that I'm just with family and I'm praying to God and how does the Lord's Prayer start out? The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Jesus teaches the disciples, and he teaches them to pray a simple prayer out loud that starts out, our Father. So with some strength, let's say the first phrase. You ready? One, two, three. Now, you got messed up there because there's no word art up there on the screen, and that's what you're used to saying, maybe an old King James-type thing. But our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh, how do I start out a prayer? I'm paralyzed. No, you're just coming into family. He's invited you into kinship, and pray to him like your father. Papa, Dada. Let's, let's talk. And there is no, you know, yeah, you sort of do finish the prayer with amen, and amen means so be it, and that's nice. There's no like word you start out with, you don't think. But what you need to start out with is acknowledging the presence of God and just be comfortable in that. So if you're even asked to pray out loud in a public kind of setting, a small group setting, maybe at the meal table, just acknowledge what that relationship is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, set apart. beautiful is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. With these two, then we have three propositions that were heavenward in this model prayer of how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. They're Godward. They're not for our needs or for the needs of others. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's an act of worship. We worship you, O God, proposition number one. Proposition number two, your kingdom come. We want your reign, your rule to come in our lives and in our world. And then we want your will to happen, number three. So you see the three upward, Godward propositions in that first part of the prayer. And then last week we made the pivot because he pivoted and he turned to talk about the the propositions that relate to our personal needs. And so we have these. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So there's four, five, and six. All right? So you got six. Four, five, and six are personal needs. And these three make it into the top three and it's interesting when you look at these when you're trying to figure out you know how do you model your prayers is they're sort of tied together all right give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one They're sort of tied together, but we break them apart. And we spent time last week talking about our daily bread and really positioning ourselves before God and petition for uh, our provisions in life. Our daily bread is referring not just to being able to eat bread, but it's referring to all the provisions of life, and we're dependent upon God for those. And some of you this morning say, I'm there, our daily bread, I'm needing it because I don't have any bread. I don't have any money. I have financial problems, I need shelter, I need a job, whatever it may be. There are provisions that you and I need, and we're called to take those before the Lord and say, Lord, give us today our daily bread. But then he steps into the second one, and then this is what we're looking at today. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, how many of you in this room, when you're asked to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud, you get a little anxious because it comes to this phrase because you don't know which way this phrase should go. Because sometimes we pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, but then sometimes it's forgive us our what? Trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, or forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. So what's the confusion here? Well, here's the reality. Jesus probably did not just say this one time to his disciples, did he? Over and over again in different pockets and different people following him, this is how you should pray, this is how you should pray. In fact, if you look at another place where he uses the Lord's Prayer as a model is in Luke 11, and in that he references it as sin. The word trespasses actually was not brought into this passage until uh, in the 1500s under Wyndham Tyndale who uh, translated Bible issues and the common book of prayer came out of that and so uh, Catholics and, and Episcopalian and some other higher church kind of people that used the book of prayer, it's forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And there was this thinking that trespass means you're crossing over a line, you're out of bounds. And sin is that way. You've crossed over a line. You're out of bounds. You've missed the mark. So trespasses is fine. But if you were to look at the Greek as it relates to the Lord's Prayer, the word debts and debtors is correct. It almost has this sense of a a financial kind of aspect to it. Any of you been owed a debt by somebody? I uh, took the initiative to get back to uh, Indiana a couple weeks ago because. I still, for whatever reason, God's working on it. He's, he's moving heaven and earth. We start to see it happen. There's a couple properties that my wife and I still own there from uh, our former days when we lived in Indiana. One of those was the house we actually grew up in, and, and, and then there was a house next to it. It's a smaller house, same type of property area, and um, I had a renter that had not paid rent for close to six months. I have a mortgage on that house. What happened to me? Over those six months, I started to get pretty upset. Oh, it's coming, or, you know, I'm going to look for this subsidy or that. Well, after six months of unpaid rent, you're dealing with a pretty significant debt. And when somebody has a debt that's owed you, you start to get an edge on you about that person problem was, I was trying in one sense, be an encouragement. yeah, I'm a pastor, that kind of thing, but please don't be taking advantage of me, that kind of deal, is that the concept of forgiving a debt has been front and center with me for the last couple months. Thankfully, I was able to get the house turned around, got a renter to commit to it this week, and that renter might possibly end up buying in the future, I don't know. But I'm like, this is good, thank you, God, because that debtor was really starting to wear on me. Now, it may not be a financial debt that somebody owes you, but they might owe you something else. What is it? If you were to ask your interior life right now, what is it that bothers me that somebody owes me, what would you say? Many a times, it uh, may be that they you feel that they owe you their love, and they've been unloving. Maybe they... Owe you their time because they've not been given you time. Maybe maybe they owe you um, something that uh, is is in the category of uh, a monetary means, but it's not that big of a deal to you. But it just sort of wears on you that there's been this inequity issue. Maybe what you feel they owe you is a huge time apology because of what they did. And maybe it was something they did long ago, and you might not even be talking with them now. That's how abrasive uh, the relationship has become, divisive. What is it that you think somebody owes you? And that sense of they owe me this, is that wearing and tearing on your soul and possibly your relationship with God. Because this phrase, and forgive us our debts as we have, also, as we also, have uh, we've also forgiven our debtors, is a prayer to God for him to bring forgiveness of a debt, of a sin, of a trespass, but it is linked together with this idea as we have forgiven our debtors. And Jesus did this for a specific purpose because our horizontal relationships affect our vertical relationship. Our horizontal relationships impact negatively or positively our our up and down relationship, our vertical relationship with God. And so he's tying these two together. Now, one of the things that's not mentioned here, we've well, we got three people, right? Rich says we got God, we got us, and we got other people. Other people may owe us a debt. We think they owe us something because they've wronged us. We know that we have wronged other people and that we have sinned before God, and so there's a debt that we need Him to forgive us with. But there is no Uh, debt that God owes to us. There is no debt that God owes to us because God is all-sufficient, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is all-supplying and sustaining. And the debt that we're dealing with in this prayer is not something that God owes us because we often go there. We think that God does owe us something, but he does not owe us anything. I want to um, encourage us as we study about uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we continually renew our concept of God because Satan is about trying to bring destruction to our understanding and our concept of God so that we end up spending our time trying to remake God in our image rather than understanding that God in who he is and his essence does not change. And he does not, Scripture does not say that he owes anyone. He created the world. He chose by design. He loves us, yes, but he does not owe us anything. And so in this prayer, it's not God owing us, but we have a debt we need to pay back to him, and we feel others have a debt towards us. This concept of, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. I want to be very sensitive in this, because you could ask yourself, why is this even in the prayer? why is this even in the prayer? I thought God forgave my sins when I came to place my faith in Jesus, past, present, and future. So why do I have to ask him to forgive us our sins? And we're going to talk a bit about that. But here's the reality. It's not dealing with a position of salvation or a forgiveness of your sins that have kept you out of this relationship with God. We know that through Jesus Christ, his work on the cross him dying for our sins, shedding His blood, being raised from the grave. He made the provision by which we can be saved and forgiven of our sins, if we but come to Him. That's why in Romans 8, it simply says, "...therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death." And what the law was powerless to do and that was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his only son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering and thus he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. We don't live according to the simple nature, but according to the Spirit, there is no condemnation. And so as a believer, we come before him, clothed in his righteousness and his perfection. If we've invited Jesus Christ into our life, and if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, guess what? There's really good news for you today because the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't clean your act up and get better to win his approval. You just come to him just as you are in repentance and faith turning from your sin, turning towards him, inviting his perfection, his righteousness into your life. Therefore, then there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're not in Christ Jesus, that work of salvation is a huge, critical, important work and can happen this very morning with the friend that brought you or even if you come and talk to a pastor afterwards, whatever, you can be saved and born again. And you're gonna have this new standing before God. The justification aspect of the forgiveness of our sins is dealt with by Jesus at the cross and through the power of his resurrection, then why in the world did Jesus tell them that they needed to pray this and forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, as we also have forgiven those who sin against us, our debtors. The subject of forgiveness, and David Gilmer spoke on it a few weeks ago, which I appreciate, and I was re-listening to his message even last night and some of the offense that came his way as a pastor. And there's some hard stuff that each and every one of us in this room have had to take on, people that have offended us, that have hurt us, that have wronged us, that have robbed us. What do you do with that hurt? What do you do with that anger? What do you do with that sense of vindication or making things right? What do you do with those emotions that well up inside of you? And and, and go ahead, think of that person right now. Who has it been hardest for you to forgive in life? Something that's happened in the past, maybe something that's in the present. A family member, a co-worker, a friend. We live in a relational world. Who is it that has wronged you and you feel that they owe you? I can pull up several names in my head. What do you do? Where do you go with that? Jesus says, Forgive us. Pray this forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's tied together, the vertical relationship with the horizontal relationship. Forgiving people. I believe the word debt helps. Am I going to go to small claims court for the back rent? I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't go anywhere. People file bankruptcy, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. God will have to speak to me about that moving forward now that I've got a new renter. But you know what? The people that I've had a hard time forgiving for other kinds of things, sometimes it's as if I just need to release them from that debt. You don't owe me anything anymore. You don't even owe me an apology When I was listening to David Gilmer's journey as a pastor, I recall uh, over 10 years ago when there was a lot of offense that I ended up uh, taking on because of people that hurt me and things that were wrong, wrong, wrongly said, wrong decisions. And that journey, I've had to daily remind myself that I need to release people of what I feel they owe me. Well, they owe me an apology, like a written one, one that I can post on social media and point out how bad they were. <laughs> no, my mind really doesn't go to the social media part. But you do think, yeah, write me a letter. And I did. I've received a couple letters from people during that era that have apologized. It does me a world of good. I release them. But what about the people that don't apologize, that don't know that they hurt you maybe? Well, I can be bottled up with it. Or I can release them and I can say, I release you of the debt. Forgiveness is not forgetting. And a lot of time that's a misnomer. But forgiveness is releasing someone from the debt you feel they owe you. Releasing someone from the debt you feel that they owe you. Now we're going to take a little bit of a different approach here this morning because I'm not the expert on this. I Maybe none of us are experts on it. But uh, I'm going to invite our pastor of counseling, Trey Cumming, to come up and join me on stage because, well, simply put, he's a much better expert at this in dealing with all of us. And so, Trey, would you join me on stage? Trey, how long have you counseled people
1: professionally? About 25 years.
0: 25 years. I'm not going to ask you how many people you've had a direct interaction with like this, but it's probably in the thousands, right? I think so. Easily so. And when you sit and meet with individuals to help them move their way to emotional health, spiritual health, uh, you're encountering all kinds of stories and impact uh, that's affected their life, and so um, that's why I've brought you up here as the expert. Because when we say something like forgiveness, what it is, releasing someone the debt, that's nice for the pastor up here to say. But you live with it day in and day out as you're encouraging people, because the forgiveness issue is a huge issue, right?
1: Definitely, uh-huh. happens all the time.
0: So, in your opinion. Why did Jesus put this phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors?
1: I I think there are two parts to it. I think one of the things is is that forgiveness is so tied to brokenness. And brokenness with relationships. And he wanted to remind us that it's not just our relationship with each other that's broken, but it breaks our relationship with him. And there's a connection in that that's really easy to miss uh, if you don't do what what he tells you to do. He tells you to forgive, and we see that that kind of puts a barrier between us and other people, and we have to remember that that puts a barrier between us and God. So I think that's one part of it. And I think the other part of it is that it kind of, Fits and makes this whole picture with that, you know, he commands us to forgive others because he forgave us, and that he wants us to pray to him that we want him to forgive us like we forgive others. It's this putting together this connecting part that we do have something that he calls us to. And when we forgive, it's not just an issue about other people. Forgiveness is really an issue about us, and it's forgiveness deals with our emotions and our bondage, and reconciliation is where that comes full circle and deals with other people, but he's calling us to deal with our own feelings so that he can give us freedom from those feelings, and I think so when we're praying, he knows the importance of that and wants us to connect with him. And because of that, I think it's front and center in his prayer. Um,
0: I go to Trey for counseling. He helps me navigate life. Trey, this thing of forgiving, it's nice to have a little message about it, but it's like really, really hard.
1: What do you say to the person says, I can't do it? I I think one of the things is I remind that person that forgiveness is a decision and forgiveness is a journey. And it's often a rocky journey. That you start the process of forgiveness by deciding to forgive. And now, that, that sounds really simple, but there's a whole lot of emotion that goes into that. You have to deal with all of your emotions and really be willing to, as Michael read during the call to worship, that give God room to be the one with Mm. revenge and give that up. And when you give that up and you start dealing with your own feelings, that's that decision part of the process. But I deal with a lot of people that are like, man, I thought I had forgiven so and so, but I got mad again today. And I'm like, yes, that's part of the rocky journey of forgiveness. Mm. It's not like, well, you make that decision and then all of a sudden God takes all your feelings away. Um,
0: so like when I get mad or angry again at something or someone, I should expect that as maybe a part of this journey and
1: not feel like God's going, well, you, you weren't sincere before or something, right? Exactly. And it's one of those things that it's an expected part of the journey. And it's one of those things that your job then is to remind yourself that you're on the journey. Remind yourself, no, I decided to let go of that. Yeah, my anger wants me to pull back and take back that debt, wants me to take back what is owed to me, and I I have to remind myself, no, I gave that away already. That's something that I'm letting God deal with. And so then it's natural for reminders to come up, and all of a sudden you have those feelings pop back up. All that means is you have to remind yourself you decided to forgive and that's part of the process of forgiveness it's not one of those once and done kinda things it's this ongoing journey where you continue to remind yourself that you're on the journey and that doesn't mean that you're unforgiving it just means that you're on the journey of forgiveness
0: you know one of the things that's always sort of helped me with that is I don't I have this image of the cross there's a song I remember uh, in earlier years, leave it there, leave it there, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there, that I visually think in terms of, all right, this offense, this hurt, this, this uh, person that, you know, that I, I feel owes me a debt or whatever, all that's, that's bottled up with I'm going to take and I'm going to place it at visually at a foot of a cross and I leave it there. And if I've left it there, then I'm not supposed to pick it back up. Now, I may pick it back up. But that, no, I need to leave it there. I need to leave it there. But it's that releasing thing, right? Yes. And what does that do to a person when they release an individual or a situation
1: in forgiveness? Yeah. How have you seen that change someone? Well, let me talk about the flip side of it, and then I'll talk about okay. that side of it. Um, what happens with unforgiveness, there's this really weird psychological process that someone who doesn't forgive, you can watch them, and they become like the person they're not forgiving. Mm. And it's a gradual process, and it gets more and more, but then they start looking more and more like that person that they're not forgiving. So, unforgiveness kind of leads us on a path towards looking like the person we're not forgiving. Now, Satan loves that. He wants us to do that. He wants us to be like those people that we're not forgiving. And the flip side of that is what happens when you forgive is that You, The biggest thing, I think, is that you put God in his place and us in our place. It's this reminder that God is really big and we're really not. And so you keep that part of the order right. And then you also, you don't have to wallow in these feelings that you're deciding to hold on to. Um, Now, a caution, it doesn't mean... Forgiveness doesn't mean go and let someone hurt you over and, over and over and over and over and over again. That's more of a reconciliation issue. Forgiveness doesn't mean don't have boundaries, but forgiveness does mean don't hold it against them and don't sit and stew in those feelings. So when you are forgiving someone, you have this freedom to not live in those feelings, and that's huge. I think that's important because
0: I, a lot of times it's hard for us to separate. Well, if I forgive, right, if I leave somebody of the debt, you know, then I'm gonna let them walk all over me again. Or, you know, I'm going to, you know, allow them to hurt me. And the issue of boundaries and, and making sure and, and that's a hard thing to walk through. You have to pull that apart and think through what's appropriate. But you're talking about an interior part of of the soul and
1: releasing someone. Definitely. And just not expecting yourself to be perfect in that. Mm. It's a process you know you're learning along the way to be forgiving to that person and that's that journey and it's okay to be on the journey don't beat yourself up because you're on the journey but also don't just intentionally go pick those things back up from the foot of the cross and carry them around again Mm
0: -hmm. so jesus he uh said forgive us pray forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors that kind of thing the, the, the one of the three, four, five, and six, that are personal petition kind of things, the only one he elaborates on after the prayer is this one about forgiveness. And it says this in verse uh, 14 of chapter 6. Jesus goes on and says, so let me get a little explanation on that one, because I know you might have gotten tripped up with it, right? For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your
1: sins. Unpack that from what you think he's saying there. I think it's really easy to look at that and think, oh my gosh, if I'm unforgiving, I'm going to hell. And it's not kind of that level of thing that he's talking about. What he's talking about is that broken relationship with him. Um, It goes back to that, when we are unforgiving, we are putting something in between us and God. And that's not what he wants. What he wants is for us to give up everything that stands in the way between us and him. So what he's pointing out in this is that he comes back to it because it's a huge issue because it's one of those things that separates us from him. You know, sin builds a wall between us and God. And this is a part of that sin, that the sin of unforgiveness, the sin of holding on to that, stands in the way. And it's kind of like a little bit later in the book, the the parable of the unmerciful servant, where you've got the master forgiving a huge debt of someone, and then the guy goes, try to claim a small debt, and it's that we're supposed to model after God's forgiveness for us, and God wants us to know that us modeling that helps us to have a connection with him that's pure without anything in the way.
0: So, lastly, I want—we didn't really rehearse (laughs) this— You've sat through thousands of counseling appointments, endearing yourself, helping people. And one of the things I love about Trey is, you know, he's not only a licensed family marriage therapist, and you had experience in the government and the medical world and a lot of breadth of counseling. He truly is a biblical counselor. A lot of times people can say they're Christian counselors, and sometimes I wonder where they end up taking them. But I've seen you time and again encourage and exhort people scripturally to deal with issues of sin or to find hope in Christ, those kinds of things. Describe, and you don't have to like confidentiality things, I know, not describe it to individuals. But when you are with someone and they get it and they pray prayers of forgiveness and they release something that they've been carrying for a long time, Paint the picture for what happens to that person. I can only imagine, because a lot of times we carry things, and maybe it's our friends or our family members that are carrying things, and you see it weighing them down. You see the adversary who, John 10, 10, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come to give life. You're there. Paint that picture of what happens when biblical repentance through Jesus Christ is received in such a way as a prayer like this.
1: Sure. I think one of the biggest things that I see happen first is just this feeling of lightness and freedom. And it's just all of a sudden something, this big weight has just been lifted. And that's first, and that's huge. And then kind of next what happens is there's a big openness, not just to any relationship, but to all relationships. What happens is when we're not forgiving, we tend to push ourselves away from everybody. And so then all of a sudden there's a greater connection, a willingness to connect. So then when you forgive someone, it's amazing how much less you feel lonely and isolated. And you can notice the community around you and you can connect so much better with that community. So there's a lightness and a connection, and those are the biggest things I see.
0: And that's a beauty to see the Lord's work in someone, just as surely just see somebody come to salvation or someone through, we do some freedom work together and see people freed from strongholds and bondage, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know, there's just something beautiful when you see God's grace heal wounds and see a person set free. When we say the awakening church is committed to people awakening people to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission, at the forefront of that fully alive is receiving and being able to give forgiveness, become awakened to all that God would have for us. Trey, uh, I know that uh, Trey has a a separate counseling ministry uh, business uh, called Calm Waters Counseling, and uh, he has... business cards out there on the kiosk if you want don't hesitate to give him a call you're in the process of relocating from some offices that were next door here to us to some other places so i know you're in the midst of this and um it's not just him but others that he's pulling together because this valley and we encourage trey he was living in riverside and he was transitioning and we say hey we need some really good christian biblical counseling opportunities or places to go in this valley and uh, to have you here and have you do a ministry, and then to have you as part of our staff and to support God's work through the awakening is just huge. Trey also counsels um, online, by Zoom or whatever, those type of things. So even if you're watching live stream from another state, you can get on and be able to walk through things and unpack them. And I know where Trey's going to take you. It's where Jesus has taken him to himself, to Jesus. And so um, thank you, Trey, for all that you are doing. Can you guys give Trey a hand? Thank you. All right, that was your message because I knew he could unpack it better than me. So did you get all those points down? Are you good? What I'd like to do is I would like to go uh, to that parable that he mentioned. I want to read that parable, and then I just want to give you three points of application before the worship team comes back. This parable of the unmerciful servant is a heavy parable in one sense because we think, oh, they shouldn't have done that. But then if we really look inside ourselves, we have fallen in the same trap as the unmerciful servant. So you can turn there if you want. It's found in Matthew Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. I'm going to read it. It's interesting because it starts off this way. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. You need to know. Peter was pretty proud of his answer. He answered his own question. Right? He's coming to Jesus. How many times should I forgive the person that's hurt me? Seven times. Huh? That'd be pretty big of me. Seven times. Seven times. Perfect number. Scripture maybe. Seven times. What do you think, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus answered, "I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Seven times." It, Peter, can you imagine him going, what? Oh, okay. And was Jesus saying 77 times, but the 78th time that they offend you and hurt you and do you wrong, then cut them off, you're done. Is he's saying no? He is saying you continually forgive. I like how Trey put it. It's not just a moment in time when you extend forgiveness. It's a journey that you go on. Every morning, maybe every night, Whenever I laid at the foot of the cross. I've let it go. They don't owe me that debt. I forgive them. But then Jesus tells this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when that very same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servants in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant then, just as I had on you? In anger then, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus... isn't always nice in what he says. Not the placid loving. He had some hard words. And he gave this parable. He told people about how to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted towards us. And how to do that, it's linked together. It's linked together emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. But Jesus is grieved. If we who have been forgiven much are not willing then to forgive someone of their sin. And that sin may be a vile, hard, difficult sin and affect you permanently in your life. But God calls us to come to a place where we are able to forgive our debtors. That we would forgive those who sin against us because he has forgiven us much. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Therefore, we should be willing to forgive and let go of that which has brought offense into our life in pain and hurt. And it is a journey that we go on. So with that, I want to just close with three simple statements concerning this passage. You are never closer to the grace of Jesus Christ than when you confess your sins to him. Forgive us our sins. When you come to that place of your own repentance, your own double-mindedness, your harm, your hurt, and you you finally lay it before the Lord, this is wrong. Don't rebrand it, rename it something else, uh, a weakness, a shortcoming, a, a preference. If it's a sin according to Scripture, then acknowledge that sin before the Lord. And the grace of God that heals, they refer to grace sometimes in in the scriptures is the balm from Gilead. Gilead was a a town where they made a lot of balm that would rub into people's sores and pain. And I'm like, rub the balm of Gilead to the sin-sick soul, as a old time hymn says. And I am rubbing in his grace into the pain and the hurt of how I've hurt him through my sin. So you're never closer to the grace of Jesus Christ than when You confess your sins to him. Number two is you are never more like Jesus than when you forgive those who have sinned against you. He's the great forgiver. He's the Savior. And so when you forgive someone else, you are coming close to Jesus. You're identifying with who he is and and maybe uh, again filling the whole forgiveness in your own life for your own sin. But you come close to him and you're like him when you forgive other people. And number three, you will never fully enter into your freedom in Christ until you learn the freedom of forgiveness. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to close. But I'm mindful that as we close here this morning, that that person you brought back up in your mind or you're struggling and you're wrestling with, you may need You may need a moment of prayer. And maybe it's right here before you leave this morning to call upon the beautiful name of Jesus who has forgiven you to release that sense of indebtedness. You don't owe me. In a tangible, almost physical way this morning. And you can do that during this worship song right where you're at. Uh, We're going to stand but you can just sit down and you can just pray in in the sanctuary of your seat. There's altar space up here to come. Sometimes it's important to kneel down and to offer up that prayer of repentance and that prayer of forgiveness for the other person. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not received the freedom of Christ. You've not entered in at the very beginning of any freedom. And you want to receive Jesus Christ as your forgiver, your Savior, your Lord, and your leader. You can come and just acknowledge that before him. Come and talk with me afterwards or one of the pastors. Talk with Pastor Trey. We want to be here for you in whatever place you're at on your personal journey in life and with other people. But I'm going to pray for us. And after that, we're going to... um, receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, and if there's any commitments that you have to put them back, your commitment card, then that's great. But I want us to sing this song as a, a means of healing and receiving afresh and anew the grace and the mercy and the love from Jesus Christ as we carry forward into our week his forgiveness to other people. Will you pray with me? Our Lord Jesus, on this sacred Sabbath day, We have gathered to worship you, to look into your word, to hear from you. Lord, we are grateful that you have forgiven us so much. Words cannot describe, we cannot even know on this side of heaven how much you've forgiven us. And that you're then able to allow us to forgive other people because of that mercy and that grace, that balm that you've healed our broken wounds with. And so, Lord, here this morning, I pray if there's names that people need to bring to you to relinquish and let go and forgive. And maybe it's for the 77th time, Lord, that they would do that and that they would find themselves receiving your grace and mercy afresh and anew. Lord Jesus, you are beautiful in all your ways, and you provide a means for us to receive forgiveness and to extend forgiveness. May you be blessed and glorified in our midst today because of our obedience in repentance, faith, and the forgiving of others. Amen. Will you stand with me as we sing and the ushers pass the offering baskets. Let's sing this together as our act of worship in response.
2: You were the word at the beginning One with God Heaven without us. So Jesus, You brought heaven down. My sin was great, Your love was greater. Who oh, I could. What a wonderful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is the name. To sing of your name Lord I love to sing of who you are let's sing death could not hold you the veil torn before you you silence the boast of sin and grave the heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you are raised to life again, you have no rival, you have no rival, and you have no equal, and now and forever, God, you reign, and yours is a kingdom, yours is a glory. Oh. Hmm.
0: powerful name and i just encourage you in one simple little disney character thing let it go and you're letting it go not into no man's land you're letting it go at the foot of the cross he's able he's able to take care of that situation you are not able to carry it so let it go let it go Hey, have a great week. God's blessing upon you. We'll see you next Sunday.